So welcome everybody back to uh, Only My Wellness, podcast number five. This is Dr. Ed Taubman podcasting from Only Maryland. And it's uh, my pleasure to have as a special guest, I've really been looking forward to doing this podcast for some time, with Rick Weisinger, um, MSRD. You'll need to explain to us, Rick, what those initials mean. And um, Rick just had a, a book, a number of books he's published, but the most recent one is on food and cancer. Um, so uh, welcome, Rick. Hey, Dr. Taubman. How are you today? We're doing just fine. Thank you. So, um, Rick, I've recently um, become acquainted with you. You're uh, well known in the uh, cancer uh, community as somebody who has uh, expertise and has done uh, quite a bit of uh, perusing of the literature on the science behind what we know about the relationship of uh, food and cancer. So, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you uh, got into this uh, important and uh, growing field. I've got a, a bachelor's degree from Brooklyn College in food science and nutrition. Then I went on to California State University and got a master's in nutrition science and, um, and then went on actually to study psychology and public health and health administration as a postgraduate. I got into this field because I saw people in my family who were suffering from various diseases who were being treated medically and not really responding to their medications. And I had an idea that diet might be involved. I was also curious about how to improve my own health and, and fitness with diet. So I started cross-referencing the literature on the mediators of diseases, what we knew to be the causes of disease, with terms like diet and specific dietary terms like fats and proteins and various vitamins and minerals, and with exercise and with stress to see what I could find. And, and I found an incredible vein of literature that I started mining, if you will, for the benefit of patients and, and started explaining to patients what the underlying causes for their disease processes were and how they could affect them using natural means such as the changes in diet, exercise, stress management, and, and in some cases, nutritional supplements. And uh, you've uh, recently been focusing on the relationship uh, between what we eat and cancer. Now, by that, do we mean how somebody could potentially, and I'll, I'll put that word potentially out there, um, uh, affect their personal risk of getting cancer, or is this to treat somebody uh, who has cancer? I mean, Rick, are, are, are we looking to tell people they shouldn't see their oncologist and, uh, or take chemotherapy and go on, on some type of diet therapy? Is that what we're talking about? No, absolutely not, because there, there are many documented cases whereby chemotherapy, radiation therapy, surgery, and anti-hormone treatments are really effective for treating certain cancers. It's just that with so many people developing cancer, and we know that most cancers are preventable, we have to start looking at preventing the ones that can be prevented because there are just so many people who have genetically inherited cancers, roughly 5 to 10% of people who do get cancers, and that still means tens of thousands of millions of people are going to be, need to be treated for their cancers. But I'll give you the words of, of a very eminent scientist from the University of Maryland. His name's Paul Calloway, and he's the person who put the cancer-fighting properties 
of broccoli, cauliflower, and other cruciferous vegetables on the map, so to speak, scientifically. And what he told me was that we have the opportunities to prevent cancer over and over and over again, but they have to be practiced throughout our lives because the DNA mutations that eventually result in cancer are cumulative and occur throughout life. You can't start preventing it at 50 or 60 or 70 years old and your cancer risk increases. You have to eat well throughout your life and avoid toxins in order to prevent that DNA damage that leads to cancer. Well, that, that is a very interesting concept. And, it, and, and what you're saying uh, does uh, fit in part from the medical point of view of, of what I understand at least, that for most people, uh, cancer, when we finally see it, probably is the long culmination over many years of a series of uh, changes in the DNA in uh, some of our cells that eventually reaches a tipping point where what we recognize as cancer has developed. But that really makes it kind of difficult to prevent it because we don't know when those uh, mutations are going to occur, they're kind of a, can occur almost randomly in during the normal uh, process of life, which is the duplication of DNA. So uh, we got to be eating the right thing uh, all the time so that we're the, we've got the, the right preventative foods and vitamins and minerals uh, when whatever is going to happen to our DNA happens. Is that what we're kind of saying? Yeah, cancer is a multi-step process. It, it, cancer doesn't occur just as a result of accumulative DNA mutations, although those mutations give cancer cells the ability to survive where normal cells couldn't. It, it's mind-boggling. Uh, just, just to uh, go past your question, I will come back to it. It's mind-boggling to look at the literature and see that individual plant chemicals, such as the ones in tomatoes or green tea, even though they're only one isolated type of phytochemical have nevertheless, nevertheless been shown in clinical trials with humans to have cancer-fighting properties similar to drugs. That's, that's something that we never expected to see. But to, to get back to your question, to prevent the damage to DNA to begin with, you have to eat healthy. But new, healthy eating also means you're giving your DNA the ability to repair itself. And the damage really comes uh, to your DNA and that causes cancer as a result of DNA damage that's sustained. The, the human body has numerous DNA repair mechanisms which can be harnessed and they are stimulated by various nutrients. So uh, it's almost as if the human body is saying, hey, we'll, we'll forgive a lot of damage. Uh, before we finally give in and, and develop this disease as long as you give us a fighting chance. Sure. Now, that being, that, that being said, again, the wrong people who are more prone to getting cancer because they are just born with a poorer ability to repair their DNA or defend against DNA damage. So what we actually talk about in, in health and medicine is not about preventing disease. We talk about reducing the risk for disease. There is no guarantee that any one of us is going to survive until tomorrow. We could all be hit by a car or a bus or, or, or die in a plane crash, but we try to reduce our risk for disease by minimizing our exposure to dangers, and, and healthier eating is one way we can accomplish that. Okay, so Rick, I'm, uh, I have a copy of your newest book, uh, Food and Cancer. It's uh, jam-packed with um, 
all sorts of materials that you have been researching. It's over a hundred pages long, and I am impressed that of the, uh, there's about 20 pages of references with specialists that you've tracked down around the country and the world to get their opinions on this important and, and growing topic. So give our readers, or, or our listeners, I should rather say, uh, our Only My Wellness uh, podcast listeners around the world, uh, um, some practical points on what you feel are important on how they could modify their diets to uh, reduce, uh, we hope, their risk of getting cancer. Uh, and again, we're not telling anybody to um, you know, go on these diets and not get mammograms or colonoscopies uh, or see their doctors. That's critical, but uh, this might be an important corner piece. So what should the average person uh, who has about a 1 in 10 chance a woman of getting breast cancer, a 1 in 20 uh, chance of uh, getting colon cancer, uh, and uh, other various cancers such as prostate, etc. Even if they're not genetically predisposed or don't have a family history, what, in your opinion, should they be doing to uh, reduce their risk? You know, there's a lot I could say about this, but I'll hit two main points. The first one I'll talk about is with respect to detoxification, because it's a topic that many people are familiar with and can relate to. A lot of people buy books on detoxification or they uh, do a colon cleanse with a special fiber product, or maybe they'll go into a sauna or a steam room thinking that they can sweat out their toxins. But in reality, the best way to detoxify is to eat a lot of certain fruits and vegetables. Again, the cruciferous vegetables I mentioned, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, um, mustard, uh, garlic, all stimulate detoxification enzymes. But there are another class of chemicals, the carotenoids, the beta-carotene, the lycopene that's in tomatoes, squash, uh, spinach, greens, cantaloupe, uh, all, all the vitamin A compounds that are found in fruits and vegetables also stimulate detoxification pathways. So then we need to ask ourselves, what is it we're detoxifying? A lot of people think that it's the pesticides in fruits and vegetables that need to be detoxified, but the fact is there's actually an incredibly small amount of toxins on fruits and vegetables, and they can be washed off the skin fairly easily. The majority of toxins, and this is according to the International Food Information Council, uh, not, not just me, the majority of toxins are in animal products, especially toxins like dioxins, which are known to be uh, very strong carcinogens. And um, dioxins are an active ingredient in what's called Agent Orange, if anybody is familiar with that. And we cannot wash the dioxins and other toxins out of animal products because they are inside the flesh. So that one of the most important things we can do is start cutting back sharply on our intake of all types of animal protein, particularly red meat, then going on to other high-saturated fat, high-cholesterol items like eggs, dairy products, and butter, because saturated fat and cholesterol can cause low-grade inflammation that contributes significantly to cancer. Once we start getting the animal products out, we start getting the toxins out, and there's another benefit as well, because animal products stimulate certain growth factors that are involved in cancers. When we remove those growth factors, the scientific literature, according to the researchers, some of the researchers I've spoken to, when you remove those growth factors and when you remove those sources of inflammation, cancer cells undergo a natural dying process called apoptosis because they, never, they no longer have what they need 
the, the inflammation, the inflammatory signals, the growth factors, and the saturated fat and cholesterol that they would normally use to thrive and grow. So uh, just, just to come full circle on that question, more fruits and vegetables, especially the carotenoids and the cruciferous vegetables, and far less animal products and substitute plant protein from soy and legumes and nuts and seeds and grains for animal protein. So, so Rick, that you know that sounds good. Do we do we have uh, scientific evidence? Uh, you know, everything nowadays uh, in medicine is evidence based. You, it, it's great to have these theories, but you know, we need to kind of prove that the you know that they work. I. And I and specifically, I, I know a number of years. Maybe you can, you know, correct me because it's been a little while. But I thought the NCI had done a study of uh, vitamin A or carotenoid supplements for people uh, who had lung cancer, and they actually did worse. Um, and I, I, I know there's there've been a number of studies over the years, at least using dietary supplements, that uh, have not shown uh, scientifically uh, over, you know, large groups of people over many years uh, that they've been necessarily effective. So uh, how do you reconcile um, that? I, I know our taxpayer dollars have spent quite a bit of money uh, tr hoping that we would come to a, a positive conclusion. You know, that, that's an excellent question. I'm going to give you a couple different ways of looking at it. And, and I hear what you're saying about taxpayer dollars, too, because I am extremely mindful that there's an, incredibly amount, uh, there's an incredible amount of scientific research that's just sitting in scientific journals that our taxpayers have funded but don't get the benefit of because no one's communicating it to them. And I've always thought it was my job to act as a conduit for that type of information. But cancer is a very complicated disease. You can't throw a vitamin A at at it as a disease that has a multi-step process that is so complicated, it's different with less complicated diseases. Let me give an example. The common cold is caused in 80% of cases by rhinoviruses. Now, the evidence has been shown for many, many years that if you take a zinc lozenge every two hours, you can eliminate this virus that causes the common cold within 24 to 72 hours, and that's easily understood because you're just talking about the ability of zinc to inhibit viral replication of, of a particular type of virus. But cancer is different. You know, even though viruses can cause cancer, the changes that occur in cells that lead to cancer are very complicated. There are many hurdles cancer cells have to jump in order to become full-blown and malignant. And so the idea that you could just throw one nutrient at a, a, at a cancer cell or tumor then they could stop growing is actually very simplistic and, and actually a little silly. Yep, you I think really that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, we, however, we do have good evidence from clinical trials in humans. UC San Diego's John Moore's Cancer Center has done some research showing that in men with prostate cancer, and this is early and mid-stage prostate cancer, not the late stage where, where these uh, bodies uh, the body's not responsive, the cancer's not responsive to hormones anymore, and, we, and, and it's, the people are usually very far along with that process. But earlier in prostate cancer, if you deprive people of the growth factors to get, by getting the animal protein out of their diet and they exercise and they slim down, 
and they eat vegan diets, which are just loaded with anti-carcinogens and substances that inhibit cancer growth. But the men who do this, they're significantly better in terms of their prognosis than men who eat the same types of diets that uh, the Western diet that everyone else is eating. So, um, okay, I think your points are, are, are well taken. And, um, you know, it, it's certainly the concept that foods um, and nutrients in, in foods and certain kinds of foods um, are playing a role in the development uh, of cancer um, uh, during a, over a long period of time. Uh, and the fact we might be able to modify that, I, I mean, that really, uh, I know I'm playing devil's advocate with you earlier, but it does make sense because foods, aren't foods just a, a compilation of, of chemicals? And um, that's what our body really runs on, and that's how chemotherapy uh, works. So that does make sense. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, for our patients, and, you know, as we age uh, more and more, I think the statistics now are... If, uh, with the uh, current lifespan, probably one in two people during their lifetime will develop some type of cancer. So if somebody um, d does develop cancer, and, and let's say the, their best shot of eliminating it uh, is chemotherapy, we know that right now most chemotherapeutic agents are really poisons. Um, the, uh, we, we're hoping that they're going to poison the cancer cells preferentially over our own cells. And uh, we know that uh, chemotherapy can be life-saving. Uh, my oncology colleagues are doing a great job uh, of modifying the side effects of these medicines. But people who have serious cancer and getting serious chemo life-saving chemotherapy, uh, they don't feel like eating. They uh, may be nauseated uh, uh, nutritionally. Uh, they probably don't have um, all the tools they need to fight this cancer and stay healthy. How, um, how should people in those situations approach nutrition and diet? Yeah, this is, this is an excellent question, and this is an area of cancer therapy that has not been well investigated. But we do know that the symptoms that are caused by chemotherapeutic agents trigger certain biologic and, and biochemical responses. And the interesting thing here is that poor diets, when I say poor diets, I'm talking about a Western diet, high in animal products, a meat and potatoes diet that doesn't contain a lot of fruits, vegetables, and whole grains, that those poor diets themselves contribute to those side effects of chemotherapy. And yet people are told by a lot of nutritionists to eat whatever you like, eat whatever you want, if you're eating poorly, and I, t I tend to think that that's bad advice. They should be told to eat foods that are tasteful and well-prepared, but foods that are healthy, that are going to detract from those symptoms and, and improve their response to chemotherapy and not to indulge in, in ice cream or a hamburger or a french fries just because it's something you, that you enjoy and feel you can tolerate. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, I, I guess it needs to be individualized as well. So, um, Rick, you uh, are in our community right now. Uh, you are actually coming to my office in Olney, Maryland, um, once a week to see patients and to do dietary consults on a whole range 
of uh, medical ailments and to help people not only in diabetes and uh, their uh, efforts to lose weight but in modifying rheumatism and to help uh, our patients learn more about how to prevent cancer and to be part of the cancer uh, treating team. So, uh, and I know your uh, book is now available for uh, those out there who would like to get a copy of it. Can you tell people how to um, get a copy of your new book? Yeah, the name of the book is What the Experts Say About Food and Cancer, and it is available on Amazon. It's relatively inexpensive, and I highly suggest picking up a copy, and I will even offer a money-back guarantee on it. If somebody buys it and they don't think that it is incredibly informative and an enjoyable read, they can bring it back to me. I will reimburse them. Oh, well, that's very generous of you, and I don't think you'd be giving uh, any reimbursements. It, it really does look like a, uh, a great book. Well, Rick, thank you for um, sharing your um, expertise with us today uh, on our Only My Wellness podcast about uh, nutrition and food and cancer. And uh, if patients would like to set up an appointment with you, they can call our office at 301-774-5400. Uh, we're adjacent to um, Montgomery General Hospital, uh, now named MedStar Montgomery General. Uh, and uh, uh, we appreciate uh, you being with us today, Rick. Thanks, Dr. Talbot. Keep yeah. well, everyone. Okay. So anyway, uh, I hope you all have enjoyed this um, uh, podcast with Rick. I know I certainly did. For those of you who would like to listen to other podcasts that we've done, and as you may know, I'm an expert on the uh, genetics of cancer, um, of which there's been uh, some with one of our movie stars in the news. Uh, but uh, anybody who would like to listen to podcasts uh, uh, that we've done on topics of cancer, uh, the uh, genetics of cancer, uh, the uh, newest treatment of ovarian cancer, and other podcasts we've done, uh, you can feel free to go to uh, my practice website, www.onlymywellness.com, and click on podcast. Just remember, only is spelled like the city of only, O-L-N-E-Y. And looking uh, forward to our next podcast, uh, I am uh, trying to get together. He's very busy with my good friend, Dr. Ken Miller, who has uh, started cancer survivorship programs at Yale and at Harvard, is now at Sinai Hospital here in Baltimore. Uh, and um, as soon as I can uh, get um, my friend Ken to just sit in one place to do the podcast, we're going to have a great podcast on life after cancer. Uh, we're also looking to branch out with my other medical colleagues into uh, newer developments in orthopedics and cardiology and kind of demystify um, what's really uh, out there and, and what's important and what's just marketing hype by, by the big uh, corporate hospitals. But anyhow, thank you for joining me. Again, Dr. Ed Taubman with Only My Wellness. Uh, feel free to drop me an email at onlymywellness, that's O-L-N-E-Y-M-Y-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, -S, at onlymedical.com. Catch you next time.